Hello and welcome to Bi Positive. These are your hosts, Mari and MD. And today we'll be talking about cognitive psychology, something a little bit more scientific for all our nerds out there, and how cognitive psychology explains prejudice. Broadly, very broadly, because there are a lot of theories about that. Um, but it's just interesting to um, just take a, a look at what we know about the way our brain works and how we think, how cognition works, and how it can also explain not only prejudice, but how people who don't fit into categories can just make their other people basically glitch. So, I mean, you're the one who researched for this episode, but cognitive psychology, the idea is that we tend to put things into boxes because it's easier for us to process it. Yeah, there are theory, theories and critics and a lot of things, but yeah, the idea is that not just cognitive psychology who says that, but that we... We make sense of the world by comparing things. Actually, we know from a biological perspective that when we perceive a stimuli, we make sense of it by comparing it to other information that we have stored in the brain. If I look at the laptop we're using right now, what makes me know that it's a laptop, that the, the light that my eyes perceive, that it makes sense to me that it's a laptop because there's an area in my brain where those stimuli, the, the, the data, the raw data that I've just received from my eyes is going to be processed in a way that would, makes me, oh, that looks like a laptop because it has a characteristic of what I think a laptop is. And if you showed me for the first time, you know, a tablet that's also a laptop, uh, I might have a moment to realize that, oh, okay, it's a tablet that becomes a laptop. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there wasn't a keyboard at first doesn't mean it can't also be, also be a laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also see how it can uh, apply it in a way to bisexuality. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the metaphor of the sofa bed. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's closed and it looks like a sofa, so it's a sofa. But when it's open, oh, it's a bed. No, it's actually a sofa bed and it can do both at all time. <laughs> yeah, it's a Tumblr thing. Probably um, so it. Uh, and it's, I think it's a good explanation about what bisexuality is or non-monosexuality is. It's not because you don't practice one at one point because you're in a monogamous relationship that you don't, you lose the ability to be both. Sometimes just, you know, needs a micro, even less than a microsecond to realize that it's possible. It's actually the kind of thing that in a very broad way could make ourselves, you know, glitch. Um, because it's a lot of different theories, but one of them is the uh, prototype theory. Uh, of Eleanor Roche, it's a bit, I mean, it was in the 70s, and there was been critics, and I'm not going to go into, like, the detail of it, because it would be uh, too much (laughs) for uh, for the podcast, but the idea is that the way we categorize, that the whole thing about cognitive psychology is to understand how we categorize, how we make sense by comparing. But this idea is that, for example, in prototype uh, theory, is that for each category that we have, we have a prototype in mind, mm-hmm. or a different type of prototype that also has an overlap. But mm-hmm. we compare to the prototype and we decide whether or not it belongs to the category by comparing to a prototype. Uh, one of the most well-known examples is the bird. Mm-hmm. So what is a bird? Uh, maybe some uh, specialists will tell you all the details but other people, I mean, I don't know anything about birds. Mm-hmm. For me, a bird has a beak, feathers, 
it flies. Oh, but a stretch doesn't fly. Is that a bird? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's when it becomes more complicated. But basically, if I see a bird that I have no idea what it is, I will just see that it's in a tree, there's feathers at the beak, it makes kind of a bird noise, it's a, no- it's a bird. Okay. Because for me, I'm not a specialist, so that's what I know about it, and that's how I'm going to categorize things, and maybe not even think about it twice. So if we were to like translate that into, because the first thing that comes to my mind is representation. Yeah. You know, if, for example, I, as a precocious child, mm-hmm. watch TV and I see like a very stereotyped portrayal of perhaps a queer man, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the whole limpressed feminine voice, feminine expression, perhaps even feminine and outlandish clothing, that would become the prototype. Yeah, of the gay. Okay. And it's, I mean, it's it's oversimplification, of mm-hmm. course, but that's to make you understand how we kind of function um, in that categorization way. I mean, it's pretty clear that we categorize, it's not very clear how we categorize, the prototype theory is one of the theory. But we know we categorize and we compare all the time. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when we encounter things that don't fit into our pre-established categories, it can make us clutch. Mm-hmm. And that's also when you know prejudice starts because it's it's not easy to understand and to make the efforts of understanding that something doesn't fit in your pre-existing world. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's difficult because it's scary because I mean also plays into insecurities, but that's another topic. Mm. Representation will tell you know what a good person is, but also it will be more complicated because of like the self-abad example to understand what monosexuality is. Mm-hmm. You know, for most people, you are seen dating, you are a guy seen dating a woman, so you're straight. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Not that's a category. The categories of straight guys is made the, the criteria will be okay you're dating, dating a woman you're straight it requires some um, actually knowledge to know about it to be informed about it and to accept the information that a man dating a woman doesn't mean that this person is straight it just gives you the information is that this person who looks like a man but might actually identify differently mm is dates people who look like women. Mm-hmm. That's traditionally like women. I'm also taking shortcuts here to make things more understandable. But to understand that those categories are not absolute, it's about education. It's about understanding, having examples. Mm-hmm. And that's, yes, where representation comes into play. So you're telling me that basically avoiding prejudice is also kind of correlated with cognitive flexibility. Oh, yeah. Okay. And also, it's just about the um, the way we're going to uh, relate to other groups, mm. because you can understand the whole thing through cognitive psychology. You can also add a little bit of the social psychology perspective <laughs> with the intergroup relations, because the way we categorize the other person is also going to tell us into what, ta- what type of groups they are mm-hmm. uh, when compared to us which will give you more you know, warmth toward them, would make you more likely to see them as a person or see them as a part of, an, uh, of a kind of a blob. <laughs> uh, to So consider them more as a, as a you know, real person and consider their feelings or just see them as, you know, almost an object. I'm um, against yeah. stereotyping. 
Well, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago I read a study, which I'll have to dig up, but I remember that they concluded that people who know what it's like to be discriminated against would be less likely to discriminate against people from other groups. So I feel like that also ties into that in the sense that when you're on the receiving end of, of discrimination and when you're a minority group, you already have a bit of an advantage when it comes to cognitive flexibility. So you kind of, not always, I'm generalizing here, but you kind of know what it's like to be in their shoes and so it makes it easier for you to understand their experience. I'd say you might be more ready mm. to walk the extra mile. Yeah. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, causal, a causal relationship. No. It's a correlation. Yeah. So To make the efforts of understanding that your pre-established categories might not be right. Mm. Let, let, let it be clear, our categories are never right. <laughs> there will always be an, out, an outsider, an outlier, someone who's going to make you have to reevaluate categories, even in nature. Again, the ostrich. Mm. Is it a bird? It doesn't fly. Wait, is the bisexual the ostrich? No, it's a sofa bed of furniture. <laughs> it's a sofa bed of furniture. And, but it's, it's, so there will always, will always be those, you know, uh, exceptions. People mm. who, so our categories are never completely right. Mm. But the more information you have, I think the more refined your categories can be, and the easier it be to understand that some, sometimes there are some weird overlaps, that sometimes it's not as a clear cut, or that there might be another category that you hadn't heard about. But if I can give some example of what it looks like very concretely, um, for example, uh, it's a, there's a there's a studies that have been done on the you know, perception of leaders who uh, who come out, and uh, that people in leadership situation who comes out as gay uh, will see be less and less, less competent. Because the, the image, the stereotype of the gay guy is going to make them look less capable. Well, I mean, then I would say that it almost ties in. I mean, it does tie in with misogyny. Oh, yeah. Because uh, a gay man is seen as effeminate. And being effeminate is not seen as a leadership trait. There's some... Um, in, in the book that uh, I absolutely love quoting, uh, Sapolsky's Behave, they, they actually did a study on, on leaders. And it said that... When a country is, when you know, when you're given a situation where warfare is required, mm -hmm. people would prefer a person with masculine features. Yeah. But when peacetime is required, then they would take an effeminate person. And in our current climate, when everything looks like war and everything is under attack, according to some people, it does make sense that someone who is seen as more effeminate would be seen as less desirable in a position of leadership. And there's also study results that show that, uh, you know, of this group relation, intergroup relationship, when mm. you will have a group that will, depending on the characteristic you attribute to the other group, you are more likely to feel warmth toward them or to find them competent. It's a, one of the models that exists. And there's a study that shows that when you... Uh, you see how people would relate to uh, lesbians mm -hmm. in general. Uh, it's interesting that, generally speaking, they will not be seen as, as uh, like the warmth and, and feeling of that the other person is competent are going to be lower than for straight people. But 
it's even more interesting to see that, for example, if you take a subgroup of butch lesbian, mm -hmm. they will be rated higher in competence, but lower in warmth. Because they're more masculine. Yeah. And because it's the stereotype that goes with being masculine, and that's how we categorize it. So it's about all those stereotypes, all those ideas we have about how people are, just influence our individual process of categorization and understanding of who the other person is. From what I'm seeing, a lot of, I mean, this might also be just the studies, but a lot of the categorization we do, at least in terms of sexuality, is very gendered. Oh, yeah. And it's very, I mean, sexist. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go there. It's, it's also interesting, you know, what you talked about when, you, when it comes to leaders in general, female leaders are seen as less, conf uh, as less competent. But when a female leader comes out as gay, the perception changes a little bit. I mean, she might seem, seem more, you can see that more competent, mm. but less warmth. Like, it's all the problem with that, that less warmth, that the problem that have a lot of politi female politicians mm. uh, is that they, the more competent they are, mm -hmm. the less warm and sympathetic they look to the general public. Well, is that just... Hello, Hillary. <laughs> well, okay, let's take Hillary, for example. I mean, she's not gay, as far as we know. But as, as far as Hillary goes, for example, does it have to be that competence goes up, warmth goes down? Is it that the public perceives her as such, or she has to behave in this way? I mean, it's a vicious circle. But, like, what is... Where's the chicken? Where's the egg? <laughs> <laughs> because that's... People will see her like that, but also if she doesn't behave as a little bit less friendly, mm. she might not be seen as competent because she's a woman. Yeah, there's there's no really you no know, good answer to that. Mm. Um, and also to come back to to the situation of non-monosexual of uh, uh, bi people in an umbrella, uh, except uh, understanding of the of the word. It will be always the same thing, is that whatever you do, you will always be perceived through that bias of the pre-existing categories. So if you want to be accepted, you might have to play into one or the other of the pre-existing categories, of the more well-known categories. Yeah, but categories aside, you would also be perceived, and I'm going to throw in some social psychology yeah, here, yeah. You will be perceived as the other from both sides. Yeah. You know, there's this whole, I mean, I'm going to explain it, the whole idea of that us versus them, the most basic human survival mechanism that we've had for millennia now is that we would form tribes and the people who would not be part of the tribe would be the enemies. Mm -hmm. And this kind of tribalist attitude has been on the rise in the recent years. Actually, it never died. But, you know... When, when you think about people who are not monosexual <laughs> or people who do not fall in the gender binary, then they become othered by the people on the opposite sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. If you're seen as the other by both the LG of the LGBTQ+, plus, and you're also seen as other by the straight population, or if you're seen as other by both the male and female, if you kind of fall somewhere in between, if you don't, def you know, if you say that you don't have a gender, then that will stump people because that's something, like you said, that's something that makes them glitch. Yeah, and the, and the problem is to feel more accepted, also to accept yourself. Mm. You, might ha you might tend to 
try to fit into a pre-existing category mm. because it's not a, only like an intergroup phenomenon, it's also an individual one and therefore it applies to ourselves because we're all trying to make sense of the world and we're trying to make sense of ourselves. So we might be tempted, or actually we not might be tempted, we do it, mm. always pushing yourself towards a pre-existing category to make sense of it. So it's, you know, the thing of, oh, I'm attracted to, I'm a woman, I'm attracted to women. Oh, I'm a lesbian. Mm. And then there's a glitch of, oh, God, I'm also attracted to men. What do I do? <laughs> or uh, this non-binary person who has uh, assigned male, uh, male birth that is very attractive to me. What does that mean? Mm. Uh, and you might want to, again, that might... <laughs> it's very common to just ignore those um, non-conforming information, <laughs> this non-conforming information, to just stay within what we understand, in the category that we understand. And, of course, when we do that to ourselves, we hurt ourselves. Well, so the question is, because I'm thinking about, like, all those kids in, like, Finland and Sweden who are being raised either as gender fluid or gender non-conforming. Recently there was an article that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were going to raise their kid as not having a gender. And there was an uproar on the internet saying, you know, the kid is going to be confused. Don't confuse the kid. But then you see those kids who are raised to truly believe, you know, that a straight couple is not the only way to go or that gender can be fluid. Those kids are not confused. They're totally okay seeing both straight and gay and whatever couples. What, what we need as human beings, whether we're kids or adults, is to have enough information to make sense of the world. And even more the kid. So if you tell a kid, so, okay, you actually explain things to them in the words they can understand. Not saying, okay, we have different types of bodies, and there are different types of genders, uh, and to let them figure things out based on what you explain to them, they can they can make sense of the world. Um, of course, a young kid, uh, a toddler, a baby even, won't have as much cognitive, maniac cognitive abilities as an adult. So you can't go into detail. You, can, you have to keep things simple for them. Yeah. But they can understand. It's just about choosing the right wording. And also not, you know, ignoring. Think people, oh, no, there's no difference between biological male and biological female. Mm. Um, of course, intersex people, but seeing like what the, the kid is the most uh, likely to observe in, in, in their daily life, not acknowledging the difference would be, would be harmful because... They would see a difference, but wouldn't be explained, mm. the difference. Uh, so it, the idea would be to explain it, but also not necessarily say that because you have this set of genitalia, you have to identify in this way. Mm. Again, not using those words, <laughs> but explaining that the difference between male and female, and even intersex, there's a difference between that, a biological difference. And not any kid can understand it, but also... If you don't tell them that because you're a girl, you have to behave this way, because you are a assigned girl, female at birth, you have to behave this way, or you have to feel that you are a woman, hmm. they're going to understand it too. 
Because actually, if you don't tell them they have to feel a certain way, they will develop their own feelings. Well, I mean, we were just, I mean, we keep discussing this, but, you know, this idea, since you brought it up, this idea of gender as a category has been kind of proven wrong in my experience. And the fact that a lot of gatekeepers in the medical community who are the people who give transgender people access to their desired method of transition, be it uh, hormone replacement therapy or be it surgery, those people still operate within pre-existing categories, which are very, very rigid. Yeah. The whole, you have to live as your your desired gender, I believe the wording is, for a year, I think, uh, at least that's the case in the Netherlands. And living as a woman means conforming to traditional female stereotypes, as in painted nails and high heels and, and wearing dresses. Wearing dresses. When, I mean, we have already done away with that category when women started wearing pants. Yeah, and so in the Netherlands, it's pretty ironic because you don't see that many women wearing dresses. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, it's a side note, but telling someone to live at their preferred gender without uh, hormone replacement therapy and so without passing might be very dangerous in some areas. That is true. So that's, that's one, that's one thing. But then, yes, it's about considering that being a woman is about gender expression and a certain type of gender expression. So it's a very, very, I would say, like, reduced, but also actually, in a way, um, wide understanding of what a woman is because it's a superficial one. Yeah. And it's, it has nothing to do with actually understanding what being a woman is. So you could see it from, again, this connect, cognitive perspective as categorizing based on very arbitrary arbitrary and not important criteria it would be like saying that yeah this type of animal is a bird because it, because it lives in trees yeah so monkey are birds i mean isn't that the plot of the wizard of oz yeah <laughs> or in a or in a more uh, in a more uh, very much more um, narrow way it would be to say um, birds have to have red feathers because they saw a parrot with red feathers. Mm. Which means that would be like crows aren't birds. Mm. It would be based on just one very specific appearance trait of one category of birds, subcategory of birds. Of course, all that is a bit arbitrary because the classification of animals is arbitrary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the way, the way I see it is kind of like, you know, since we talked about like yeah. children... Um, yeah. In particular, I see it as, you know, when a kid learns to draw at first, mm-hmm. they draw a stick figure. And then on top of the stick figure, they learn how to draw clothes. And then they learn how to draw a face that looks somewhat less like a pancake and more realistic. Then they learn how to draw elaborate uh, hairstyles and fingers on hands, which is always a nightmare. So they learn how to make the person more complex and that's kind of how I see those categories, is that we can use the categories as shortcuts, as mental shortcuts. I mean, we use them anyways. But we yeah. do, because that's how our brains work. We see someone who has the traditional characteristics of what a biological female would be like, and we jump to a conclusion that this is a cis female, when in reality that may not be the case. Um, but I think, the, like you said, the solution to that is, number one, education. And number two is getting to know the person you're stereotyping because they might surprise you. And also I think to apply it to yourself 
especially in the, in the BIPOS community, so many people are like, but I'm mainly attracted to one gender. I'm still bisexual. Mm. I actually have been with this partner for so long. Am I still bisexual? Mm. All of that is about your understanding of what being bi is. And that's something that is unfortunately influenced by the general idea of the stereotypes of being bisexual is. So it's, I think, a very conscious effort for us to broaden, to refine, not necessarily broaden, but to refine our definition of that category we belong to or we want to belong to. What is our understanding of it? And what does it come where, does it come from an outside source or does it come from the way I feel? Does it feel right to me? Is it something that comes from what I've been told by others? Uh, or does it come from, okay, are you really identifying like that? Because even though I'm barely attracted to another gender, mm. uh, I mean to another gender, for example, that the one of my partner is still there, and I need to acknowledge it for myself. And so I use a word that is going to reflect that. I mean, I would say that stereotyping is a very interesting phenomenon because it's both biological, cognitive, you know, Mm -hmm. psychological, because the framework is installed in our brains and we're kind of using that operating system as we go along through life. But it's also a very social thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it would be really interesting to see how one would interact with the world if they were raised in completely different categories. Yeah. And... I mean, we'll probably never know that because humanity has gone a long way and there's no way to re-educate a bunch of people to conduct an experiment as fascinating as this. Um, but I think the the ability to kind of see past the category and see the person is one of the most precious things we can do right now, given everything that's happening in the world, given the way we perceive each other and given the way that we stereotype ourselves even like you mentioned you know there's a lot of kids on tumblr who's like i'm a total gay or i'm totally depressed when that's not the case yeah and those you know the usage of labels especially in our day and age has been contributing to that kind of categorization but i'm not going to get into that because that's a whole different topic no but it's well i mean we only talked about that it's about the need to belong to something and to but again if we take it to that perspective of we're trying to make sense of the world and to make sense of ourselves and we need the categories for that but there's a good thing in that a lot of the categories we can make them what we want somehow at least we don't have to follow stereotypes you don't have to be uh, flamboyant to be gay put to be a gay man Um, it's not about that you don't have to be Holy and 50-50% attracted to men and women to be bisexual, also because you can be attracted to other genders. Um, it's a lot more flexible than that. And the real and and I think that it's a very conscious effort to when we meet other people, when we interact with the world, to realize that my per- you know, our first reaction, we can't help them, but we can really make that effort of realizing what they are mm. and maybe trying to modify things a bit and just question ourselves about where it comes from 
and how we can change it. And I would say just slowly, gradually learn to stop shoehorning each other into different boxes because it's convenient. Yeah. I mean, we can't help the categorization. That's how we function. But we can make the categories more pertinent, more adapted, more true to what the people really are. So, have you ever stereotyped against anyone? Have you ever fallen into this cognitive trap that we all have inside our heads? There's no shame in admitting it. I think it's very valiant to admit that you have learned and changed. So if you'd like to share your story with us, we would absolutely love to hear it on our email or even if you tweet at us. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.